Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 10, Is Marijuana a Medicine or a Drug? Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome to Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with... Dr. Michael Smith. And uh, we've been at this for 10 episodes so far. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, Fusion Health Radio is the place where you can learn to create a life of abundant health for yourself, uh, thanks to Michael's perspective on health and my questioning him on what he knows. Today's episode is marijuana, a medicine, or a drug. And uh, that's probably pretty uh, relevant to Canadians, as it is uh, these days, because the new government has threatened to make marijuana more legal and that sort of thing. Yeah, we'll be able to find it in vending machines on street corners. That would be really exciting <laughs> or relaxing or whatever it is that pot does for people. It's going to slow down traffic a lot. Yeah. Uh, before we get into episode 10, let's uh, let people know who we are and what we do. So uh, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm the, uh, I guess, the tech guy and as well as the health seeker in studio with Michael um, to talk shop about health. Michael, give people a rundown about who you are and what you know. Uh, so I practice integrative medicine. Uh, for me, that's a combination of the leading edge sciences of functional medicine and nutritional medicine, uh, combined with the ancient wisdom and vast experience of traditional Chinese medicine. I also do a kind of counseling, um, and um, I think that covers it. Acupuncture. Yeah. I'm a fitness trainer, a kung fu teacher. <laughs> what else do I do? Qigong instructor. Teach wilderness survival. <laughs> all around, uh, all around healthy guy with a. Um, how would I? How would I paraphrase what you do? Um, somebody who's got a healthy perspective on health, as opposed to a traditional Western medicine, uh, which has kind of a mechanical perspective on health. Yeah, we've decided to nickname that part of the medical paradigm the pharmaceutical people. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, dear listener, Michael is not wearing a white lab coat. <laughs> he, he doesn't have a bunch of pens in his pocket. Well, actually, there's one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, still have to do paperwork. <laughs> uh, last episode, uh, episode nine. Um, can you give us a quick recap? Uh, yeah, it was just speaking about whether or not we should all go gluten-free. Right. And my answer is yes. And in fact, if you really want to... Uh, bring your opportunities towards health, um, fitness, weight loss, and all of those things uh, as positive in a direction as you can, I would actually recommend going grain-free. Absolutely. And that's uh, part and parcel to the um, healthy diet that you prescribe for people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of what we call an ancestral diet. And uh, I'm a big fan of it as well, being somebody who's actually eating that way. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I noticed the other day, um, it's uh, the end of October, and it's getting close to winter and wet weather here, uh, where Michael and I are here in Nelson. And um, getting dressed the other day, I noticed that I have this rather large uh, bald patch on my left leg, uh, down around my ankle. And um, I couldn't figure out why. And then my girlfriend said to me, she says, well, that's where you used to scratch a lot. Uh, and the scratching was a direct result of me eating a crappy diet, uh, most specifically around uh, grainy type things, pastas and whatever it was. And I used to scratch a whole lot to the point right now where I don't have hair on that spot on my leg. 
Um, and the thing that was amazing to me in all that was the fact that I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember why I had that spot, let alone the fact that I wasn't scratching because winter was usually a time when that aggravation came up more uh, with all the wet weather. And I'm sure that's something that uh, Chinese medicine has a take on. Yep. Yeah. Dampness is bad. Dampness, bad. Grains, bad. Lots of bad. <laughs> Sugar's bad. Sugar's bad. Okay, so we've been talking about bad stuff. That's what we were talking about the last time. Uh, avoid grains and uh, gluten, definitely. Uh, today you're telling us um, marijuana might be a medicine or it might be a drug. Um, I think it can be used either way. And I think that's sort of the, I don't know, the fun of making titles for shows is uh, for each person who hears this, the question is, is it for you, uh, something you use as a medicine, uh, perhaps, and or is it something you use as a drug in the sense of getting, you know, um, in the sense of getting inebriated on purpose to, to the point where you're probably going to do something irresponsible. Right. Well, I think that the, the way um, I'm going to say North America, because that's where we live, mm -hmm. the way more, most North Americans see uh, pot marijuana um, is exactly that. It's just a reason to get stoned, get high and, you know, eat chips or something. Um, but I don't think it's always been that way, has it? Well, I like to bring this interesting uh, bit of information to people. And again, I guess from the wilderness survival kind of Aboriginal side of things. Uh, if you're in the bush, you need to have fire and shelter and water and food. And that's everyone who's in the like camping survival thing says, yep, you have to have those four fundamental needs. Now, the fifth thing you need to be able to do is make cordage or rope. Rope. To make everything else you want from better traps to better lodging to lashing things together to making clothing easier, making uh, fishing easier, everything gets easier with cordage. So if it's the fifth fundamental need of our species to survive in nature, it's not a surprise to me that we've been basically a partner with cannabis or hemp as a plant since we were basically primates. It's that far into history it's if it's your fifth need i mean we're bashing rockets rocks together to, to make fire it's the next thing we're going to do is figure out you know cordage and um the reason that's interesting to bring up in the sense of history is we have receptor sites for our, almost every cannabinoid inside of our body that have that, that plant typically has as its substrates cannabinoids or alkaloids or little um potent uh, molecules inside of a herb or a plant, say in this case, uh, you know, hemp. And the only reason it's possible for us to have that many receptors for that many alkaloids from any plant is that we've been hanging out with it forever. You know, there we are trying to make some good cordage, some rope, some clothes, whatever, you know, this leather's getting a little bit stinky. <laughs> I'd like to try something else for a hat. <laughs> And, you know, you're chewing on the, the, the raw food and then you're like, okay, you're going to get a certain health benefit from that. The, the hemp hearts are probably one of the most nutrient-dense things you can eat besides liver. Um, sorry, yeah, liver's good for you. And, um, you know, we've got fire. The, the, maybe by accident, some of the bud of the plant is getting what's called carboxylated, which we'll come back to in a bit. Um, and then somebody eats that or this, it lights on fire or something and somebody, you know, downwind gets the smoke and it's, you know, at some point accidentally and empirically we figured out, you know, marijuana is good for everything in the sense of cordage and food and stuff like that. And it makes medicine people really better shamans <laughs> and, or, you know, it, you know, helps uncle thug feel less pain and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, okay. Uh, that's, that's a pretty heavy statement that you said there. So let, let me see if I can get this in kind of plain English. Okay. Maybe for me and probably mostly for the listeners. Uh, you're saying that, uh, 
hemp as the plant mm -hmm. is something that's very familiar to our bodies because we've had it for so long in our history. Mm -hmm. And um, that that sort of connection that we've had to hemp has been sort of ruined uh, because of the way people treat it today. I or, think the only thing that ruined that relationship was, was prohibition. Okay. <laughs> right. So, you I mean, know, it's been used up until the 1930s responsibly and effectively in many ways. But as soon as the oil industry realized that the hemp plant was competing with them for uh, plastics and oils and stuff like that, they basically had this thing, you know, reefer madness and everything else where, you know, oh my God, it's evil and the pharmaceutical people, you know, they're kind of buddies with the oil people. They're like, yeah, well, maybe we can all make a buck here by getting this stuff out of everyone's backyard. So you're saying that up until the 30s, it was still used as, um, I guess, just everyday food or everyday uh, like raw material for a lot of things. I mean, it, it's probably the most versatile thing that exists. Huh. And in the space of time, I mean, you know, less than a hundred years, all of a sudden hemp has become this pariah, uh, that people are to avoid because it's bad and a whole bunch of things, but that's kind of changing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And even in the last, I'd say 10 years in, in the sense of North America, I mean, it's, I mean, there's 26 states in the USA that are now having legal cannabis. As, as of the date of this recording, right? As far as I, unless I have my numbers wrong, I'm pretty sure it's 26 are on board and there's another 20 who have some kind of legislation planned or, uh, it's on the table to make a decision around whether or not they're going to say yes, who knows. But it's just interesting to, you know, I was, prepping for the podcast a couple of days ago and I just was looking for a couple of images and I saw, wow, here's a, you know, a map of the U S and, you know, we're in Canada, but they always have the easier statistics, right? You know, it was almost half of the, um, states in, in, on the map were green and some of them were like a yellowish green because they're like, you know, in, in the decision-making process. So that's amazing. I mean, Canada, you know, if our new prime minister actually, you know, keeps his word he's just going to legalize it which means they're going to tax it like alcohol and you'll be able to buy it in stores wow and so sorry just to be clear is when uh marijuana is actually legalized does that mean that it's legalized in terms of uh, being able to use it for industry as well as you know how people use it today recreationally well i i would think that would have to happen but at the same time maybe the cotton people will be <clears throat> really offended that all of a sudden the hemp people are taking over their their gig but taking back their gig maybe so if, if people are uh, able to get access to pot mm -hmm. or marijuana legally, mm -hmm. uh, so industry obviously is one thing that would sort of pick up on that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure that people in Colorado are a good example. Images that I've seen of uh, 420 parties where they have, you know, a huge um, crowd of people uh, outside all smoking and just smoking pot for the sake of smoking pot. Um, but this isn't a recreational podcast. This is a health podcast. <laughs> so let's bring it back to that. How does how does legalizing marijuana or even marijuana factor into health and health as you know it? Well, I mean, it's profoundly medicinal, you know. Um, and as we get through the podcast, we'll get into all the details of exactly how and why. But, I mean, I'm a part of a dispensary in Nelson now. We partnered up. We opened it up uh, five days ago. Um, but it's a medical marijuana dispensary. So although you can buy the, the bud that people usually grind up and smoke, you know, preferably through a vaporizer, um, almost everything that's in that dispensary is stuff that is um, produced to keep the ratio of the alkaloids, the part of the medicine that actually does something, um, 
you know, in keeping the ratio in a way that's the most medicinally potent and has the moderate or less of the, the THC or the psychoactive part. So in that way, uh, even for children, they could be, you know, someone with epilepsy or something like that, you know, be taking this and even able to go to school. You know, they're going to be calm, but they're not going to be high. So the medical... And they're not going to be having seizures. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so the medical um, components uh, of what uh, marijuana has to offer, mm -hmm. um, is that what's driving uh, the, the, the sort of thing around legalization? I would say it's a part of it because it's, it's really hard, I think, to keep vilifying a plant as a drug, you know, that's going to get your kids, you know, in a car accident, pregnant and whatever else. Um, but, you know, when you keep seeing all these, you know, viral things in social media of, you know, kids who could barely function now basically, you know, playing with friends talking, you know, there's that one case I saw two weeks ago, this girl had a certain, you know, uh, neurological problem and she couldn't figure out language. And after I think it was a week of, you know, using an edible amount of the, the part of the plant that will literally rearrange your brain in a good way, she's talking. Hmm. So you see that in the news and then, you know, it's, you know, people using the, that's called Phoenix Tears. You can use that internally, but you can also put it on your skin. You know, people using that to like put it on their skin and their skin cancer is gone in four days. I've seen that in a patient of my own two, three years ago. Wow. You know, skin cancer, oh my God, uh, comes back, you know, the week later and says, oh yeah, it was a couple of days ago, it just like fell off. I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, okay. So when I, when you talk about the, the medical components of whatever the cannabinoids do, mm -hmm. that's all fascinating, but it's still marijuana. It's not something you just sort of go into a grocery store and pick up. How do people get uh, access to it if it's not, um, officially legal yeah well right now it's uh really a point of getting to a clinician you know doctor person like myself um i think anyone who has the um under the umbrella of health canada the right to diagnose and treat something so if you're seeking access to medical marijuana you need to go to someone to get some kind of diagnosis and have them write a letter confirming that diagnosis based on your symptoms, past treatments, medications, uh, things like that. And it's not like a prescription for marijuana. It's basically saying, yes, I'm aware that this person has been diagnosed with this. And it's kind of implied that they've attempted some kind of treatment and that they're now willing to or have found um, that the use of marijuana is actually more effective than other options. And the... Uh... Uh, the permission slip, if you will, <laughs> <That's a good laughs> the the letter that you would get from the healthcare practitioner. Mm -hmm. Now you said Canada a second ago. Would that be the same in the states? Uh, I'm not sure if that's exactly the same way. I would assume so. Okay. Um, because a lot of the states in the states have legalized it. I mean, and now it's like buying beer. You just need to be of age. Wow. Right. So that's a different thing. And some some dispensaries in the states are really really focused on the medicinal kind of um, edibles and tinctures and salves and even suppositories and stuff. And then other ones are like way more about recreation, you know. So it's this will get you like effed up for I don't know the next three days, and you'll be sort of dancing with purple giraffes in the back of your head or or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the letter that um, that you do get from your your healthcare provider. Um, who's the letter to? Uh, the letter is basically, you know, uh, kind of a legal statement. 
Okay. So you take that letter, your permissions up, and you go to whatever dispensary of your choice. And typically they're going to, depending on how serious they are, they're going to give you some kind of card or identification thing that says you're now a member of that dispensary, which you can just come back any day of the week, show them the card, and go shopping. I'm, think, I'm thinking of a Costco card. <laughs> well, yeah, but Costco's only good for Costco. Right. You know, and the, the reason I bring that up is some dispensaries have the model where they'll just give you a card for their dispensary. And that means you can't use that uh, card for any other dispensary. So in the sense of being business-minded, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I find that personally a little bit, I don't know, bad taste in my mouth kind of thing. Because if you go to a lot of the other dispensaries, you're going to get a seriously, clearly legal-looking card with your picture on it that's been signed by you and somebody else um, that says, you know, this is for medical use. Um, it's good to keep that letter or a copy of that letter with you in case you want to go to another dispensary and they decide to be, you know, picky and say, well, that's not our card. So we're going to make you, you know, see our doctor and pay somebody else, you know, whatever to, to, to do this. Cause you know, I don't know. Some people it's all about the Benjamins or the money. Other people it's all about helping people. And, you know, there's that sort of polarity. So yeah, so you've got your card now and you've got a copy of your letter. And, uh, what I often recommend people do who have, um, tried less uh, consistently to gain some kind of health through mainstream uh, healthcare is to actually go to your doctor or walk-in clinic, whatever, repeat all of your symptoms, your complaints, your your illness, whatever it is, ask them what they would uh, recommend for you and get a prescription from that, that physician for whatever it might be in any depressant or sleeping pill or, you know, more pain meds or something. And to keep a copy of that prescription on your person as well, or take a picture of it on your phone or whatever it is, so that if you ever get pulled over, you happen to find yourself, you know, when you're in, in the park with your friends having a, a little fun or something like that, and, and they get really serious about, you know, the punitive side of managing this, um, you know, because they'll just take away your cannabis. And if they ask you about your card in the sense of your diagnosis, and if you have tried regular medicine to treat that illness, and you say, well, no, because I, I know you know, marijuana works for me, they'll just take away your pot, they'll take away your card, and they'll contact the uh, dispensary and even potentially contact the uh, physician or practitioner who wrote that letter and say, you didn't follow the rules, so, you know, we're going to shut you down. Hmm. Right. Because, I mean, and I think obviously I'm I'm pro-medical marijuana, but um, I think for the next year or two, uh, there's going to be occasional acknowledgments of the right wing, you know, follow the rules, be punished for doing things wrong. It's a drug, you know, something bad's going to happen. So inevitably there's going to be, you know, the undercover cops and the thing trying to make sure everyone's following the rules. So the best thing that we can all do is take that opportunity as far as we can so that every one of us is aware that we're really trying to change that whole paradigm around cannabis being this this thing that we just want to get messed up and, you know, all that. So if we're all going out of our way to say, look, man, we get that this is, you know, it's a political thing, but it's so much more importantly a medical thing. So let's all be as medically responsible, cross your T's, dot your I's, you know, have copies of everything, so that in this transition period for the next couple of years, you know, where Canada gets to re-know herself around you know, this particular thing, it's going to look really bomb-proof and serious and credible because that's what we're really doing. It'll be an interesting uh, shift from, mm-hmm. um, I, I think maybe the, the way we experience uh, 
It'll be interesting to see how uh, authorities and people who have sort of said pot is bad, how mm-hmm. they shift and yeah. how they start to allow things to happen in a uh, healthier manner. You've been talking about how to actually get access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I want to ask you about what people should actually ask for when they get it. But um, we haven't really talked about why. Why do people want marijuana? I mean, what is it that it can actually do? I mean, this is you know maybe too big of a question to ask in a in a short podcast but can you sort of give us a rundown as to what uh, pot would be good for in terms of health so when i look at the uh, use of marijuana medically there's so many things that uh, it can actually help you know in, in the sense of helping adjust or mediate different things that happen around the physiology or pathophysiology of illness um so I think I'll start with just sort of the, the, the first step if you were looking for um, something in a dispensary or, or something like that, is there's sort of two primary different strains uh, of uh, cannabis that we can get access to. And one is the sativa strain and one is the indica strain, right? And they're, they're both, you know, marijuana. And if you smoked them enough, you'd be high in the sense of just using the plant itself. But when you look at the sativa strain, and uh, it has its own ratio of cannabinoids, which we're going to learn about shortly, um, because of that ratio of cannabinoids, sativa is really good at affecting how you feel and think in your head. So around stress, anxiety, depression, um, focus, uh, feeling more alert, uh, being really creative and stuff like that. I mean, it's brain mojo magic. Okay, right. and that's again, that's sativa. Sativa. So that's the that kind of call it that grandmother strain. Maybe I'm not sure it's the mind. I'll call it grandfather strain. <laughs> Be all symbolically accurate here. And um, there's lots of other um, inbred kinds of strains between the pure uh, sativa, pure indica. So sativa again, it's just mojo magic for your brain. Okay. You know, so if, if you think like mental, emotional stuff in the sense of how you think and talk to yourself is really an important issue, that's the that's the direction you want to go when you start looking at strains or substrains. When you look at the indica strain, it's more of a body uh, effect in the sense of what people call a body stone. So mm. if you're physically a restless person, then that's a better idea. If you're physically tense and have tremors and twitches and stuff with, with muscles, say, around Parkinson's, then the indica is a good way to go. But in fact, you might want to use a bit of both because there's a lot of stuff in the brain that can be uh, helped with an indica strain. And then there's the more nerve muscle bone kind of thing that the, uh, sorry, the sativa would be good for the brain part. And the indica, again, would be good for whatever's going on with your nerve muscles and bones. Indica is also really, really good at just purely reducing pain, right? In terms of what we call being an analgesic, uh, it's really good for helping people with nausea. And again, you notice these are all referencing physical things. Um, yeah, it's used for people with, uh, you know, say on chemo, they lose their appetite. So you, you know, you get a little bit of an indica strain. And not only that, is it going to technically help you with the process of cancer and clearing out the chemo, it's going to make you hungry enough to keep yourself you know, in calories and nutrients to, to continue fighting off the disease. And indica, interestingly enough, uh, can also increase and, and um, kind of modulate how your dopamine uh, stores are produced and how the receptors actually uh, receive and activate that. So dopamine is... Right, thank you. <laughs> dopamine is not about being dopey or dope. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter in your brain. We often refer to as the uh, neurotransmitter of reward. 
it's not actually true, but that's kind of our, our overall sense of it because you see a lot of dopamine uh, when people have had, had an exciting experience. You know, they just uh, won, a, you know, a game that's really challenging or they just had sex or learned a new skill or something like that. Uh, dopamine is also really caught up in the process of addiction because, you know, the reward experience that we kind of pavlovely and have done for ourselves in the process of, process of addiction is, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got my bottle of, you know, whatever you're well, bottle would be full of, or if it's tobacco or something else. I think what's interesting as a quick aside here is dopamine is actually the neurotransmitter of anticipation. Okay. Right, because the dopamine goes up as closer you get to the sexual encounter or your bottle of gin or your whatever it is, and then as soon as you, you know, begin imbibing either of those wonderful things, <laughs> uh, the dopamine is actually going to spike and then start to drop. Hmm. And so... Um... Just to get back to, my brain's already thinking about gin and sex here, but <laughs> we're, we're talking about marijuana. Uh, remind me again, marijuana with regards to dopamine is a good thing because it helps regulate it or increase well, it? Well, it just actually increases the whole circulation of the system. It helps your body produce the... the so I'm trying to dig it too technical, but that's, that's where I live, right? So your body takes one molecule and turns it into something else and something else, and then it becomes dopamine. Mm. So that the cannabinoids sort of facilitate that process if you have enough of the, the base nutrients. But it also increases the kind of mild pressure for that to happen because of the way it affects your actual um, mood. Right. So if you're going to, oh, I feel like I deserve gin and sex because I'm a good guy and, you know, all this stuff, then... That, that buoyancy of self-awareness and confidence will increase the actual natural production of dopamine because you're just generally happier. Cool. So, uh, again, I, I caught myself when you said the word cannabinoid the last time. Mm. I've been calling it pot just out of habit, just, <laughs> just, just in terms of how we've been talking. And I, I just want to make it clear to people that we're, we're not actually talking about pot in a dime bag that you bought from some guy on the street. We're talking about a medical... Uh, form if you will of well i mean you can get the pot in the bag it's just going to be grown by people who are really really serious about the end product in the sense of um things need to be uh measured you know mm -hmm. in terms of percentage of different cannabinoids because when you have that you know from a lab on paper and i was just reviewing some stuff at the dispensary this morning uh, that we got back from the lab and it was super exciting to see the percentage of the non-psychoactive cannabinoids that we can produce now that actually can, you know, potentially reverse Alzheimer's or something like that um, compared to the stuff that is, you know, other products that we want to be really psychoactive because they can help people with, you know, uh, certain other conditions more as well. And it's not that I'm against recreational use, but, I mean, it's that's not really my job. My job is to try and... Um, help people get access to the appropriate, you know, ratio of cannabinoids and strains and, and other things. Um, and in fact, I mean, we're starting a supplement, supplement company shortly that's going to actually have a line of products that are uh, medicinal foods uh, with cannabinoids, with other uh, herbs and medicines mixed in so that we can actually have things that are specific for certain conditions, not just here's the pot that's good for sleep, Here's a product with cannabinoids in it that cover like nine different aspects or spokes of the complex of things that actually can interfere with sleep. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's for me, that's like I'm in the geek outland of uh, being like the alchemy of alkaloids from like all of Chinese medicinal herbs, marijuana, Western herbs, what are called nutraceuticals, which are the things you usually buy from the uh, health food store that are isolated nutrients and stuff. So, there's a, a pretty big. Um 
potential for this to be, uh, you know, an all-encompassing kind of drug. Well, I mean, I think it's going to replace and, and can replace like probably 30% of the pharmaceuticals that are probably sold the most often in the developed world. And, uh, I'm, th- and they're I'm not, not a doctor, but I'm going to guess antidepressants. And, uh, yeah, for sure. And what else? Um, sleep, pain, uh, immune system dysfunction, mm. um, especially around cancer. I mean, it's it's insanely uh, cool when you get into the biochemistry of how certain cannabinoids block the process of how cancer proliferates in the body. Wow. You know? And I, it's also interesting when you think of, you know, so... Um, you know, there's the bud. We're all used to that. And then there's things you can take from extractions and butter and oils and, and stuff like that. But there's also the leaves. And you can dehydrate them into a powder. You know, we all buy greens, powders, and, you know, things. I'm anticipating, not that far away from now, being able to buy a jar of dehydrated pod leaves that haven't been heated up to the point where they become psychoactive. So it'd be like a greens powder you could pour in your smoothie. And it's one of the most potently nutrient-dense corrective things you could put into your smoothie on Earth. Is there anything about the plant that isn't any good? <laughs> well, if it's grown badly with really bad stuff, yeah. Mm, okay. But I, mean... and, and I would take that a step farther. Um, I just want to finish up my previous thing. Is sure. it, There's even medicine in the roots. You can dry up and, and uh, you know, uh, powder the roots, and it's going to do a whole bunch of really great stuff, especially for people who smoke pot and get paranoid. Hmm. Wow. So, again, I come back to the, the thought that there's nothing about the plant, if it's grown in a decent manner, uh, that isn't got some kind of value, medicinal, well, um, nutritional. The, the only danger uh, I've seen, um, which is becoming more uh, relevant, I think, is that when you take the, the plant and what we've done to it in the last 30 years to make it so potent, and the way that happens is you mix very specific mineral and metal uh, binders to the nutrients that are going to be absorbed by the plant and the roots and then transport it up into the bud where you actually you know make more crystalline more thc or other cannabinoids so the vehicle for getting the nutrients in there is now in there so when you sit there and roll the joint and smoke it just imagine a little meteor storm of oxidized really hot pieces of mineral and metal penetrating your lungs getting absorbed into your body and then eventually stored somewhere as a heavy metal or a reactive oxygen species kind of uh, mineral. Well, from my own experience, um, smoking pot, which has been very infrequent, uh, mostly because of that experience of like, you know, inhaling smoke has always been hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so not that I want to talk about my experience smoking pot, but what can you say about how people should ingest this? Is, is there a safer way to actually uh, use it? Yeah. So a vaporizer is, I think, job one. Because you can adjust the temperature on the vaporizer to get the actual cannabinoid you actually want out. I uh, decided not to go into that detail in the podcast because it would just, I don't know, I think it would sound just boring. You know, 222 degrees does this, blah, blah, blah. You can get a chart online in two seconds. So so you can, again, adjust the temperature of the vaporizer so it only evaporates the cannabinoids that you actually want. Hmm. Right. So if you want a certain ratio of the, what the medicine has to offer, you set the, the temperature there and then you, you know, the, it heats up a coil, it blows some hot air through the, the plant material and it fills up a bag or, you know, or you can get the mini ones that just, you know, you can just draw the smoke right in, you know, through it. But then you're getting more medicinally specific potential out of the plant instead of, okay, I hope this is good stuff and I hope it wasn't mixed with anything and I'll just roll up a doobie here and, you know, hope I don't wake up in Detroit naked with a blow-up doll. <laughs> <laughs> or any other <laughs> city for that matter. 
Um, I just think it'd be cold. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so uh, vaping is kind of uh, a high tech way to to get something into you. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the vaporizers I can't imagine are inexpensive if they're that high tech where you can adjust. Um, no, I think the, the the baseline ones are about a hundred bucks. The mm-hmm. the big one. Uh, I'm not trying to sell a product here, but the, the classic big one is called a volcano. And uh, it's between 500 and 600 bucks. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of got the, you know, Cadillac of vaporizer kind of, uh, I don't know, PR, whatever. <laughs> they got a bigger PR budget. Yeah. They've sold more pot. Um, so you can eat it too, right? Yeah. I mean, you probably wouldn't want to just eat the bud by itself just for aesthetic and, you know, swallowing reasons. But hey, Michael, you got something in your teeth. <laughs> kind of crystally yeah yeah. um so the most common thing people are going to do uh, around edibles if you're not buying pre-made edibles is to make what's called better butter so you take i don't know a couple ounces or something like that in a pot of water and then mix in maybe a half pound of butter and then you you know get it to a boil stir it around lots and then turn it down to a simmer and then you just keep coming back and stirring it to intermingle the, the the fats that are floating with the plants that are floating and then eventually sinking and you know maybe after two or three hours i've never actually done this myself so i'm guessing two or three hours um all of the plant material will just be so soft and saturated it'll just sink to the bottom and the butter will be green and the butter is where the value is. Yeah. So then you put that in your fridge, you know, the butter's going to solidify and you can take that out and then, you know, you make your brownie or your cookie or your whatever, uh, or add other medicines into that, um, the better butter. And, uh, you can, what I would recommend, what I do recommend people do is if you're adding other uh, medicines to the now THC and another cannabinoid enriched butter, you can keep it on kind of a double steamer so that the butter stays melted keep stirring it with a whisk as you do this so that your uh i don't know each dose is going to be predictable which is important and then you can use like a little eyedropper and just fill up gel caps and then put that in your freezer and then the next you know day take one wait two hours and see what happens and if that isn't quite what you wanted then take two and if that's too strong you know and mm. i would like what usually i'd recommend i say make about 10 capsules and then leave the stuff in the fridge. And then after you've done your trial to figure out how strong it is, you can start adjusting uh, what goes into the gel caps. And within the space of a weekend, you can now basically have medicinal marijuana in your freezer with predictable dose and predictable effect. Wow. And is that kind of uh, predictability something that a dispensary would offer as well? Would you be able to go to a dispensary and say, um, I'm looking for something to help me with this affliction? And the dispensary would say, well, based on our study, we have all this data that says you want to take this amount in this dose over this time, that sort of thing? Um, predictably, yeah. You just have to decide when you walk in a dispensary to assess their focus on how much recreational stuff they have hmm. and how much you know, edible, tincture, oil, capsule, uh, other, other things that they may have that are clearly indicated as you know medical you know, because, I mean, anything is potentially medical and anything is potentially recreational in the sense that if it's psychoactive, you can use it that way. But more and more dispensaries are, you know, you know, they have their little shelf over here of, you know, little jars of bud with happy fun names. And I think there's a, I don't know, some place in the universe everyone goes to come up with new names for 
you know, <laughs> new strains of pot. But then the other side of the counter is usually you'll have three times as much um, know, particular products or, or uh, things you can get that are, you know, they, they tell you exactly like the CBD ratio or the, you know, it's, it's specific use or, you know, things like that. And like the, the I think there's four people doing dispensaries in Nelson now. And, you know, they're all, in a sense, compassion clubs. And uh, everyone's got a different menu in the sense of um, what you can get, you know. And two of them, the one I'm involved in and another one that I'm good friends with, uh, are really, really medicinal. Almost everything's been uh, assayed through a lab. Uh, the other two, which I get along with fine, they're relatively more recreational. They still sell people for medicinal purposes. They just have a smaller shelf in the sense of what they actually have to sell. And one person, he just sells pot in a bag or hash in a bag and sometimes oil. Hmm. You know, and he's been around the longest, actually. Yeah. Uh, and for the, the sake of our listeners, uh, Nelson, where we are, is a town of, sorry, city? 10,000 people-ish? Ish. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, it's amazing that such a small population here uh, actually has such access. Mm -hmm. uh, not everyone does, um, but yeah. that's, that's going to change, I think. Yeah, well, right now, 49% of all marijuana prescriptions or, or letters are actually fulfilled in British Columbia. And I think only 7% of the people who get those are from British Columbia. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I probably see five people a week from uh, Alberta or Eastern Canada who come to Nelson, you know, because... They know they can get it here. Well, they know there's a lot of compassionate doctors and that there's dispensaries that have really good medicinal stuff. And once you have that um, <clears throat> bit of hoop jumping around getting your letter and getting access, uh, we can mail it to anybody in Canada, right? Because once you've established the, the Health Canada sort of hoop jumping part, then, yeah, just you know, send us an email and we'll send you your medicine. Wow, very cool. Um, getting back to the way people can use it, um, Smoking, uh, vaporizer, they can eat it. Uh, you can get it as a salve as well. Salve, yeah, topical salves. I mean, they're amazing for chronic pain, bruising, especially arthritis, bone pain, like from bone cancer and stuff like that. Uh, there's also suppositories, which, you know, might sound like a strange thing, but you can take, uh, you know, coconut oil, other mediums, glycerin, and put in the cannabinoids, uh, as well as other medicines. You can put in probiotics, all kinds of other things. So that, I mean, it's a size of a, I don't know, a little tiny pencil, you know, and it's uh, in a little forming kind of container so that, you know, you buy it, put it in your fridge, and when it's time, you just sort of rub your fingers to soften the coconut oil and have a little private moment with yourself, and then... And hoop, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I mean, in certain cases, that's actually the more important thing to do. Say with uh, a flare-up of colitis, you're trying to get the inflammation out of the colon, you put one of the best anti-inflammatories on earth, which would be CBD. And if you're really going to have fun, you could mix it in with other plant-based anti-inflammatories, uh, which is my fun little mad scientist thing to do. And then when you apply those things, uh, you don't you want to absorb the psychoactive parts through the absorptive membrane of your colon in, in, in a way that's going to get the psychoactive stuff to your brain. So now you can do that and go to work knowing that you're basically treating your colitis with some of the best things on the planet. You may have to be careful about, you know, passing gas and other stuff because you've got a couple of tablespoons of coconut oil sitting there waiting for a... So you might want to wait a while before you... Head off to work. Uh, well, I think it's just getting used to the... I mean, each of us has a different anal sphincter, you know, so get, getting friends with your own to figure out where it's going to go. 
Um, you can even take granulated cannabis and put it in, in, in just a, a standard enema. So there's like, there's a wide range of really cool things you can do. Wow. So uh, the, the whole idea of uh, taking it uh, up the bum is something uh, healthy. It's not necessarily something that people would do recreationally. Well, you're not going to get any of the recreational benefit so it would be a complete waste of your pop yeah <laughs> and weird <laughs> so you heard it here folks <laughs> don't sit on your dime bag <laughs> um now if you're if you're taking it that way mm-hmm. uh, like the, the whole idea around uh, reefer madness and it being you know evil drugs and that sort of thing they always talk about addiction mm-hmm. um is taking medicinal marijuana addictive is it something that we all need to be like worried about that you know, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, grandma's going to turn into a pothead because she's taking this stuff to help her whatever condition she's got. So this brings up kind of the interesting kind of, there's sort of a fork in the road. You know, there is no evidence in any research that marijuana is chemically addictive in the way that nicotine or alcohol or heroin or morphine can be. Okay. Right. In the sense of you could smoke for a while and stop and you're not going to go through the chemical uh, DTs. Uh, from from withdrawal, you know, and that's sort of the standard thing with uh, the actual idea of chemical addiction is, if you can stop and not feel like you're going out of your mind, you're not chemically addicted. But then there's this other thing that has to do with sort of mind body awareness. You know, if you're a typically mentally anxious person, and you find a certain uh, you know amount of cannabinoids, or you know, you can even just smoke and pot from your dime bag, and now you're not as much of an anxious person. In a sense, you've kind of addicted yourself to a certain uh, frame of mind that you can only access through cannabis. And it's the same thing with the sort of somatic part of being nervous or, or in pain or just physically uncomfortable in your body. You take the cannabis and then you become the happier, calmer, more, you know, collected, present, confident, passionate, curious person that you've always wanted to be. And... If you don't have cannabis, you don't feel like the other version of you that you've, you know, spent a lot of time suffering with. So in the context of that, uh, people would say it's technically addictive on a somatic level because, you know, you physically need it to feel the way that you want to feel. Mm. But again, I would say considering that, I, I mean, I actually think of this plant as a grandmother. In, from, I guess, sort of the First Nation side of things, and that it's helped us grow as beings as much as any other thing in terms of an evolutionary pressure. You know, we talked a few podcasts ago about ice ages being an evolutionary pressure for our species because of a, a very limited food supply in a mm-hmm. positive sense. You know, uh, marijuana basically helped us become very creative and associative thinkers. And there's a man who passed away, unfortunately, Terrence McKenna, who spent, I think, the better part of two or three decades speaking about hallucinogens, specifically psilocybin or magic mushrooms on its impact and its profound change in the way we actually can think. And his, his whole premise was, you know, we were wandering around and we found some bison and mushrooms like to grow up in their poop and we were waiting for one of the old bisons to die because we hadn't figured out hunting yet and we're nibbling away on the mushrooms and then we got this really good insight about hunting and now we're, you know, yay, now we're big hunter-gatherers, right? Wow, so it's a part of, uh, I guess, the evolution of who we are as a species. Yeah. You know, it's not just necessarily this reefer madness craziness. You know what? It's your grandma. Grandma. Wow. <laughs> so if it's your grandma, uh, what can grandma do for you? Uh, just about everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, besides the cordage and the food and the, um, you know, textiles and oils and 
everything else, even from a, you know, way back in the past sense. Um, what would be interesting is just for me to talk to you about a little bit about the chemistry. I'm not going to get too technical because that would be, I don't know, hard, hard to follow without a chalkboard or a, I don't know, PowerPoint or something like that. But Or, or if you were high. <laughs> well, actually, you'd probably just go, wow, <laughs> my grandma's amazing. <laughs> so if you're looking at cannabis as a plant, uh, when you look at it raw, it's going to have certain alkaloids that are primarily just good for pain. Uh, there are going to be some anti-inflammatory, um, potentially anti-cancer in, in a way. You know, So again, powdered greens will eventually be, I think, a thing on the shelf. Because it's, you know, every greens powder will have hemp in it because it's not psychoactive when it's raw. When you start to heat it up, again, depending on the temperature, you're going to release other cannabinoids through a thing that's called carboxylation, right? Which basically means, you know, cooking, you know, but it's fun to say carboxylation because it sounds really cool. <laughs> so that changes the alkaloids from the raw plant to alkaloids that are more potent and specifically uh, more absorbable by our body. Because that's always the tricky thing, you know, you can swallow anything, but whether or not that's going to enter your bloodstream and get through the membranes you want is, that's always the, the kind of big thing. So the first one that we're always going to, you know, come up to is the THC, um, tetrahydrocannabinol. And um, it's good for pain, it's good as an antibacterial, it's anti-cancer, uh, anti-spasmodic, um, stimulates your uh, appetite. Um, it's actually a bronchodilator, which is kind of weird when you think about smoking something that makes your lungs feel tight. Um, if you have the, uh, the right kind of THC ratio in the plant, and especially if you're using a vaporizer, which carboxylates the plant, um, it can actually relieve people with COPD, which I have, which I think is, you know, mm. you know, because if I turn my vaporizer up too, too high, because, you know, you've got Friday night kind of, oh, let's just turn up the volume. <laughs> it actually makes me feel really, really a lot worse. I mean, you get the, the psychoactive component, and I sleep really well, but then my COPD gets triggered. Whereas if I'm following the rules and being a good little monkey, you know, and I keep the temperature just right, the COPD actually feels better. I don't get nearly as much of the psychoactive thing, and actually I prefer that, you know, most of the time. Mm. So, I mean, I think just think, interesting, you can smoke something that actually is good for your lungs. Go figure. Um, I think other thing that it's known to do, uh, just for THC, well, one of its variants called THCV, um, not only is it, uh, what's called anticonvulsive in, in the sense of people are having seizures or Parkinson's and stuff, it actually stimulates your bones to grow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, if I've been in some kind of severe car accident, broken a whole bunch of bones. Yep. Yep. Car carboxylate the THC into uh, either through vaporizing or through in, into the ingestibles you want. Rub it on the bones, well, on the skin around the bones, <laughs> and and then you know ingest it however you want. And for bone growth, I would obviously suggest one of the longer term kind of edibles where you're getting, you know, between eight and nine hours of therapeutic benefit. You know, especially while you're sleeping. Wow. That's very cool. So that's the THC side of it. The The next most important alkaloid is called CBD. Um, and it doesn't have a psychoactive benefit or, or effect. Some people might not think of that as a benefit. But we're, we're talking about this as being a medical thing, not necessarily a recreational thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to clarify that, uh, you know, if people are hearing me say psychoactive benefit, that I'm pro getting stone, and it's not about that. I'm just trying to be clear there's the psychoactive effect. 
Right. So CBD does not have that, and it's profoundly good at being uh, a painkiller or an analgesic. Um, it does that through uh, certain uh, gate mechanisms of your nervous system, which I don't need to explain in detail, but it tricks your nerves into having a different kind of message threshold or sensitivity to pain. It's anti-inflammatory, which has a huge effect on the pain mechanism itself. It's good for uh, anxiety in, in a pretty profound way. I mean, it, a lot of anxiety and depression are actually due to mild inflammation in your frontal cortex. The cannabinoids get in there and dampen the inflammation, and all of a sudden the root cause of that part of the anxiety is actually abated better than any other thing you can do. Hmm. You know, besides, I don't know, like there's the golden milk stuff and other things, but um, that's, this is more effective than anything else that way, which I'm, I get the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical guys and girls are all going, oh my God, this stuff is way better than anything we've come up with. Damn it. It's antibacterial, uh, anti-cancer. Um, uh, if you're really nauseous to the point where you're wanting to throw up, it'll actually totally ease your nausea. Uh, think of a patient, she's been dealing with insane amounts of nausea, like chomping on gravel, you know, left, right, and center. And she got some good CBD oil, and all of a sudden she's like, hmm, wish I would have known about this stuff a long, long time ago. Yeah, well, gravel is not pretty. No, and it's not good for you at all. Uh, CBD is super, super good for people with insomnia, especially, again, that sort of cerebral inflammatory or vascular inflammatory kind of insomnia, which is really going around a lot. Believe it or not, it's... Um, um, also a bone stimulant and it's immune suppressive for people who are having really intense uh, autoimmune crises you know I don't, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show but I recently had a flare-up of Crohn's and colitis about a year ago which I was clear of for about 20 years you know and um, I was doing the typical things and then I finally just kind of tweaked back to oh yeah medical marijuana and I mean, I've been, I was being pretty straight around, you know, inebriants and stuff like that. And then I got back into using it with the high CBD stuff. And it did more than anything else I'd done in probably six months. Wow. I was literally within the space of two weeks of taking non-psychoactive cannabinoids to help me sleep. And I was using it mostly for sleep. The the symptoms that I was still having around Crohn's and colitis just went away. And I was kind of like, maybe the medicine's finally working. I'm like, no, no, I've been taking this stuff for months. That's not really doing anything. I've been taking cannabinoids and it's working. I'm getting mm -hmm. off this medication because it's not working out. And so, um, just to carry that just one step further, did you eventually just ditch the, the, the pres prescriptive drugs? Well, I keep them around just in case something, you know, untoward may happen because, I mean, I definitely don't want to be passive and allow any kind of illness process to progress. But I find, honestly, with the the CBD tinctures and the occasional uh, suppositories and stuff, the Crohn's and colitis is clear. And uh, I mean, the more I'm getting my patients, and I see a lot of patients with those conditions uh, who get on that protocol are just like, man, this is annoying. We weren't doing this, you know, 20 years ago. Wow. Interesting. So a couple more. There's um, another variant of the CBD, which is um, uh, also anticonvulsive and, uh, and again, interestingly, a bone growth stimulant. So something about this plant really likes to see bones grow. <laughs> and another, there's another cannabinoid called CBC, um, which is really well known as, around anti-cancer and anti-fungal. Um, and again, sort of the typical sort of uh, thing around, you know, less inflammation, less pain, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, but it's really, really known around the bacterial fungal thing and around the cancer side of things. And then there's the last one, which is CBG. Um, which is um, similar to CBC in the sense that it's, you know, pretty anti-inflammatory, uh, um, 
analgesic or you know good for pain, uh, but also uh, antibacterial, antifungal, and really good for cancer. And it's also known to be probably one of the most best isolated ones for depression. If you, you and you kind of have to mix it together. So you've got a bit of THC, a bit of CBD, and a bit of CBG. You know, in in terms of ratio and, and isolation, uh, it would work probably better than anything else that we have available to us, natural and or pharmaceutical, for managing depression. Sounds like it's a medicine and it's a drug. Uh, it's a medicine and it's a drug, and it's a good way to make some clothes and <laughs> save the planet and the economy. <laughs> yeah, wow. And uh, coming soon to a, uh, I was going to say street corners, coming to, soon to a everyday place where you can buy it near you. Yeah, I think they're going to try and do it kind of like the liquor store, beer store thing. Hmm. Because you know, that's the way that they're modeling it in, in the, the, like, say, Colorado and other states. And I don't know how many countries have legalized it and have, they've, other countries have legalized all drugs and then, you know, put some, taken the money from selling drugs over the counter or, like, you know, taxed at the liquor store to create addiction treatments and, you know, injection sites and stuff like that. And they've gone from, like, 70% of the typical chaos of prohibit prohibition countries where all the money is wasted in putting people in jail and you know chasing them around and trying to bonk them on the head you know and you know it's i think it went from the, the cost went from like 70 percent of whatever amount they were doing their research from to 30 percent so the country basically saves 40 percent of the money they were spending on trying to have a war on drugs to actually have so much less problems with people using drugs the addiction rate rate went down that much as well, and the treatment of it was considered just a natural thing. And people were using it way more effectively and responsibly because there's like no more. Um, it's no longer a war. Yeah, you know, you've got no other container except a good one. Mm, it's a slap on the wrist. <laughs> yeah, it's more like, oh, you need some help. You know, come on. Yeah. You know, so I mean, the, the, there's no, there's no evidence anywhere that having especially cannabis but any of these things legalized and then managed to like you know i mean we have alcohol for sale and we have alcohol treatment facilities you know and that's actually a worse you know that's another podcast yeah <laughs> that, that wasn't a good decision at all <laughs> absolutely um have we covered it at all was, was the, the yeah, we... that, that, that's mostly what i wanted to to speak to is you know just this, this is this is what it is this is how you can get it this is uh more specifically what you'd want to get this is how you take it um, and I wanted to have that little, you know, geek out about there's different alkaloids. This is what they're called. This is what they do. Yeah. Wow. A uh, very informative, uh, almost an hour. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. It's a theme. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're on a roll here. Uh, this is Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa. Dr. Michael Smith. And we've been talking today about marijuana. Is it a uh, medicine or a drug? And um, this is episode 10 of Fusion Health Radio. Uh, you can learn more about uh, Fusion Health Radio online. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, we are on Stitcher. We are on iTunes. Uh, anywhere else? Uh, well, there's Podbean. Uh, Podbean, yeah, that's where the, the website sits too. Yeah, so the, the reciprocity is... Uh, in the sense of give and take, uh, we really want to keep doing this. We're enjoying doing this. Mm -hmm. I have no, no plans on stopping, but um, in order for this to be uh, a successful endeavor overall, we're asking anyone who's listening to our podcasts to please throw down some comments and or questions uh, through Facebook, or you can do comments on, I think, iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean as well. But more importantly, we're asking the, the special challenging 35-second favor for you to go on iTunes or Stitcher click a little button on the number of stars you think we deserve for our episode 
uh, and write down great show or write a paragraph or write a paragraph and a bunch of questions, uh, advice to make the show better, anything like that. Cause the more we have direct interaction with you, the more other people are going to see the show or see the ability to actually access, to listen to the show. Uh, and then we can kind of expand our tribe and learn more from each other based on our questions and comments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, iTunes needs to know that we're alive before it'll actually show us to the rest of the world. So it's kind of like each comment and, and review is like a little CPR pump. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There you go. Uh, this is Fusion Health Radio, the health lifestyle mindset podcast. Again, I'm Anthony Santa, Dr. Michael Smith, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. Cook well, eat well, and be well. Have a great day. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio. 